Welcome to the PayEvil podcast by Payment Evolution, Canada's largest and most loved cloud payroll solution. Yes, we pay people, but we're so much more than payroll. Our mission is to empower small businesses across Canada, just like yours. So tune into this podcast and let's talk all things startup, growth, scaling, and Hello and welcome. This is Juliana with the PayEvo podcast. I'm here with my friends today, Bob and Carrie. We're talking mental health. Really excited to have you join us. We're going to really dive into employee burnout, mental health, and I'm going to just from the get-go let you know, please tweet us your comments, your questions, and what topics you want us to cover next. And on that note, I'm going to jump in. Let's start with you, Bob. How's it going, man? Not too bad, Juliana. Thanks for having me here today. So excited. This is my second time doing something like this with you. Totally. And I always love uh, the opportunity to chat and then to turn that into something else and share it is is a bonus as well. Very cool. Carrie, how about you, it's awesome to be here. This is my first podcast with Pay Evo, so I'm really excited. Whoop, whoop. Not your first podcast, though. You were a part no. of a launch podcast, a very first one. Tell me about I that was. quickly. Uh, the podcast is called What's Your Why? And I spoke on resiliency. So I love it. Yeah. I yeah. love it. You, you and I, we vibe. We, we, got, we got the same, <laughs> same kind of energy flow. All right. So we're talking about employee burnout and mental health. And let's talk about context first in terms of who you are and why you're here on this topic. Um, Bob, why don't you start us off? What's what's your perspective? What do you bring to this conversation? Yeah, sure. So my name is Bob Mather. For those who don't know, I am. Um, I'm head of benefits at Payment Evolution. So we uh, have a full service insurance brokerage uh, within Payment Evolution. So in addition to offering fantastic payroll services and software, we also offer employee benefit and insurance services. So how that comes into play with us is uh, we're getting a lot of uh, requests for assistance with their employees around uh, challenges regarding mental health, uh, depression, and specifically around COVID. So what we do is we offer solutions that can maybe help employers, you know, combat some of the, the issues that they're having. That's awesome. And Carrie, how about yourself? What what brings you to this topic? Well, I'm the practice lead for HX, which stands for Human Experience, and we've done a couple of podcasts and webinars already, and we are launching uh, the service of human experience or human resources within Payment Evolution, which is really, really exciting because we want to put the power of a full-service HR in the hands of the small to mid-sized business owner at a fraction of the cost. So that's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think human experience obviously has a different angle than human resources and what better topic to talk about these days uh, other than mental health, wellness, um, that that whole burnout piece. Mm -hmm. Employee burnout. Can one of you define that for me? What does that mean for an employee and for a... and So burnout is described by psychology um, today, describes it as a state of emotional, mental, uh, and often physical exhaustion brought on by prolonged or repeated stress, or, um, and it's not simply a matter of working long hours. So um, it's comprised of emotional exhaustion, uh, depersonalization, reduced personal accomplishment, and it, it, it can usually be work-related and lifestyle-related, but I'm, I'm making connections these days to COVID-related because I call a burden of COVID that we all are feeling in some way, shape, or form um, and in different ways. But really, when we are looking at what 
how this expresses itself in the workplace, it, mm -hmm. it looks and feels like burnout. So, yeah. and we all know that burnout actually can, can go into depression if you have a prolonged period of time. So. Totally. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Bob, I know, I know that you've worked in the big corporate world. I think we often, outside of a COVID scenario, we often associate burnout with, you know, big corporations with, you know, th these uh, corporate machines that just keep moving, whether or not you can keep up. Um, but nowadays we have COVID and that's kind of exerting itself um, in, in a new way. Um, so I'm just wondering, what, what's your perspective from working with big corporations, small businesses? Uh, what's your perspective on burn up, burnout and, and how our experience in the past relates to where we are now? Yeah, I, I think the reality is, is, you know, I guess the coronavirus or COVID-19, you know, it's the reality is it's, it's stressful for everyone. You know, fear and anxiety about, you know, this new disease and what can happen can be overwhelming and just cause, you know, just strong emotions in both adults as children, and also children, you know, and then add to that, you know, all, you know, all the news you see uh, about how many cases, um, you know, social distancing, you know, and these things can make people feel isolated and lonely and can increase stress and anxiety, you know. I will say, however, you know, these actions, you know, we need to social distance, we need to, you know, self-isolate to, you know, to reduce the spread of COVID-19, COVID however, you know, we need to make sure that we find a way that we all find a way to help cope with the stress and, you know, find a, a healthy way to, you know, take care of yourself and as well as the people or the communities that you're, you're part of. So mm -hmm. I think it's, it's becoming inc more increasingly important now that we sort of, you know, understand and acknowledge that there is a lot of people going through a lot, a lot of issues or, or having a difficult time dealing with, you know, current conditions. That's fair. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned something that is completely new in this burnout scenario that we're living today, which is isolation. Carrie, how does isolation play a role in burnout? Does it or is it really about being worked to the bone or something of that nature? So typically burnout in a in a work context would be um, either, you know, input related, right? The amount of time and energy you're spending, it can come down to being the wrong job and the right person. It could be the wrong job and the wrong person. It could be um, the right job, but the wrong person. And those are typically in a corporate environment, the things that would move towards burnout, because when you have the right job and the right person, everything's fine and you get high performance. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not really sure if we can make that sort of connection. Mm -hmm. um, now but it's we have to be really mindful because a lot of our workforces have moved remote so we need to be mindful there is isolation and we have to be more mindful and when we talk about you know maybe we'll talk later about employee engagement but we need to be more mindful about how we engage our employees and especially the remote ones and even more so the single employees that live alone it is so important to ensure that they are engaged and and included that's uh, that's very fair. <clears throat> I also think that as an extrovert, I am I'm probably like a, on an eleven on the scale of being an extrovert. <laughs> um, and so, you know, for someone who who gets energized by interaction, um, it's interesting. Like I I do find that sometimes I can maintain my own momentum on tasks that I'm doing, and kind of be in my own mental bubble, and I'm fine in terms of of uh, pushing forward. But there are moments where that where the fact that there's no one to share in that work with me on site by my side um, 
it, it, it really does zap the energy from the tasks that I'm doing. So I, I do find that, um, at least for me, there's an element to that isolation that, that complicates burnout in a way that I haven't experienced before. I always had the option of just going in if I needed it, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so we, we've definitely lost one of our coping skills. Um, yeah. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about employee engagement. Um, employee engagement. Why does that even matter? Am I hiring you? Is this like you know you're just a person on a on a production line um, putting a, a widget into the bucket, um, you know, twenty times a, a minute or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, you know, why does employee engagement matter, or is it just do your job? So employee engagement. Um, there's. I actually feel like there's two two sides to employee engagement. Before. COVID-19, um, employee engagement meant um, how to maximize discretionary effort, which means the ability to go above and beyond. And employee engagement meant that if you had, uh, and all the research tells us, if we have engaged employees, we have high performing employees. And so we want to make sure that we have employees that are engaged with the company, engaged in their job, engaged in creating the culture of the company and maintaining all of those things. Um, however, I would say that employee engagement has really kind of split in two with COVID and one is managing performance and the other one is really managing um, burnout, uh, right? Managing this, the, the symptoms of burnout and managing isolation in your workforce. And so it's, and actually I, you could maybe even make it a third one. And the third, the third piece was how do you, how do you in, ensure a remote workforce is engaged? Yes. Right. And how do you keep like to your point, you know, you're used to going in the office, you're used to, mm. you know, if you're an extrovert, that's where you make your energy from introverts get their energy from being alone. So for mm. if some introverts, um, they are thriving. Yes. I know for myself, I am an ambivert. So I'm a bit extroverted and a bit introverted. I also um, I've been joking lately that I spent the majority of my teenage years grounded. Um, and so I feel like as much as I hated being grounded as a teenager, it was truly skill building for this moment in life. Yes. So yes. I, like, I'm fine. It's funny what prepares us. I also love that we see a little cat tail in the background. Lucky you, you've got some company. It's helping. <laughs> That's awesome. Welcome to every meeting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah. employee engagement. That makes sense. We want people to be engaged and uh, engagement correlates to performance. Awesome. Mm -hmm. You mentioned performance and then you mentioned sort of these two other things. How do you keep folks engaged and that burnout piece? Mm -hmm. um, is that the second piece? So not the performance. Um, is that those, those other two areas? Is that the bucket where corporate culture usually filled the gap in the past? Is, is that is that how is that a way to summarize this or to look at what we've lost here? So when we look at, so there's there's the performance piece. When we're looking at what, like we really have to ask the question, what does burnout look like in the workplace? Because mm -hmm. we, we can talk about the word and we hear a lot about employee burnout, but what does it really look like? And it, it looks like absenteeism. It looks like tardiness, always being late. It looks like incomplete work or missed deadlines. It looks like, coming in late, leaving early, it looks like, I call it, um, I call it presenteeism. People might be present in the office, mm -hmm. but it, um, mentally they're absent. So, yeah. but they're in their show in their face, but what they're doing and producing isn't really where you need it to be. And, and it also looks like, um, you know, pessimistic comments. 
And so, you know, if somebody's always a bad news bearer, um, you know, or Debbie Downer, you're not going to want to talk to them all the time, but those would be some of the signs and symptoms and that's what it looks like. And so from a, um, employer perspective, you're managing, oh, well, you know, you're going to, you know, you've been tardy. I've let you, you know, you come in late at 10, 10 30 every day. That's not okay. Maybe you write people up for that. Maybe you don't, maybe you write up one person who's, you know, tardy and stuff all the time. Cause you've had it with them, but maybe you're letting somebody else do that. So, um, you might have some disparity in how you treat people because of based on your relationship with them, or maybe you have different managers that are managing those things differently as well. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I know that, um, Bob, we talk about, when we talk about benefits, mm-hmm. one of the topics that comes up a lot is, you know, attracting and retaining talent. And I, I can't help but see the, uh, an interesting narrative here. When you, when a new employee starts and you're on site, you can kind of see those characteristics that Carrie was just telling us about. You can see when a person is disengaged, when they're being a little bit negative, when they're there in body but not in spirit, all of that. How does how, how do we know now? What what do you watch out for? Um, having the area of expertise you have, but also as a manager leading a team. How do how do you still check in and and know if how do you get those cu- those cues ultimately? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question, and sort of this sort of goes back to Carrie's comment upon you know presenteeism. So you know the reality is most people spend approximately sixty percent of their waking hours at work. You know you know, and I think it's so important that we all have a, an understanding of the financial and human cost of workplace mental health. Um, you know, and once we have that understanding. Um, employers are better able to develop an action plan for improving both their employee well-being as well as, you know, be able to assess their their bottom line. You know, there was a, a study that I was reading not too long ago. I wish I remember the name, and it found that lost productivity from presenteeism was mm-hmm. at least seven and a half times greater than productivity <laughs> lost from absenteeism. And once again, as Carrie mentioned, this this blew me away. Presenteeism, you know, occurs when employees are physically present. But due to an unaddressed physical or, you know, whether it be an emotional issue, they're distracted to the point of reduced productivity. You know, and I think, you know, uh, uh, I keep seeing different numbers because based on the time of the year of the study. But um, I think the last the last uh, study I read is it's an estimated that it's estimated that presenteeism uh, could cost Canadian businesses, you know, anywhere from 15 to 25 billion dollars per year. Um, So in the end, you know, mental illness, you know, indirectly affects all Canadians at some time. You know, whether it be through a family member, a friend or a colleague. And I think, you know, going back to your point, I think it's up to the onus is on, you know, some of the onus is on management to, you know, really keep an eye out and and, and look after uh, their employees. And, you know, as part of, you know, looking after benefits for payment evolution, there are, you know, there are services that are available that can help employers, um, you know, manage some of the issues that they have in the workplace. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's really helpful. Thank you, um, Carrie. I, uh, you know, I, I'm a little bit torn. I want to keep moving forward in the conversation, but I want to drill down deeper into some of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Can you can you give us um, some initial thoughts on retention here? Um, ultimately, when people are in the office, it's harder to it's it's easier to say someone's not doing their job if they just don't show up. It's much harder to determine that they're not doing their job if they are, in fact, there in body, not in spirit. This 
presenteeism um, problem. And thank you, Bob, for those numbers around cost. Um, I think, you know, sometimes we need to see hard facts to understand. But when someone's there in body, you lose that hard fact of, I don't see you here, so we have a clear problem. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Carrie? So, you know, I anecdotally speaking, um, you know, working with with various small to mid-sized companies, uh, I can see the effects and impact of presenteeism. And so, you know, I think about, you know, when Bob was giving his numbers, I was I, I totally agree based on what I see um, in the workplace. And, I, you know, I can I can, you know, with some of the clients that I've been working with recently, I would say that they're really at 30 percent, 70 percent effectiveness because the other 30 percent. There's it's presenteeism and and actually managing some some culture issues within the workplace. So it's detracting from their hitting their bottom lines. They would be like, you know, yes, way more effective and hit their numbers out of the park if they could focus on that. I would also, um, you know, when we're talking about retention too, the other thing I I think is really important to note that we see is with with COVID-19 and its impact on the workforce and how work gets done. Um, I think that, um, it's really brought performance to the forefront as well. So we, we might've been permissive and tolerated people's poor performance before, but now that money's tight, time is tight, margins are tighter, you know, we can't tolerate lower performance anymore. Um, and then what we get into, and this goes back to the retention question, is that, you know, the low performers are dragging the high performers down. And, you know, it's it's demotivating to them. So then you're going to get into a situation where your high performers are going to say, you know what, this is really a drag and I'm spending more time helping everybody out here instead of, you know, performing and being focused on my job and getting ahead. So I'm going to leave. And we're starting to see see that within some businesses as well. So when I think about, um, you know, managing these symptoms in in relation to employee retention, I think um, managing them is key and keeping the conversation going is key and ensuring that you have engaged your workforce and have, you know, we talk about in HR, I often talk, there's a book called Radical Candor. And I've referred that to uh, a number of leaders to use. I think leaders need to do one-on-ones, right? Uh, Weekly check-ins. You know, Payment Evolution has um, Friday night, you know, Friday night cocktail hour at 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And that is a great way for everybody to kind of come together and be together. And and it's, it's a fantastic example of how to do that. We also have you know, our, our morning coffee on Wednesday mornings with our customer success team, and they've initiated that. And so, you know, you've got coffee, if you can join first thing in the morning, you've got drinks on Friday nights, and, and those are really fun. And that's a really good way to keep people engaged. And, and for people to kind of check in the extroverted ones talk a lot, the introverted ones sit back and laugh. It's, it's pretty interesting. But, you know, when I go back to the, the, the radically candid conversations, it's important to create conditions for everybody to be honest. And in moments like these with a global pandemic, we need to be more honest, I think, than our typical comfort levels go. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. Okay, so one parallel I, uh, I'm i seeing that I just want to draw for everyone listening. Uh, it sounds to me like the same way absenteeism is is easy to spot and presenteeism is hard to spot. 
retention is such an easy thing to aim for and to see if you're failing. Burnout is the hard to measure, hard to see version of retention. Mm -hmm. Because you literally can have someone there, but not. So uh, I just, I really like that. um, I really like that parallel because for me, if you could just swap out all the burned out folks as lost team members, suddenly you have a very, very real visual of how big of a problem burnout is. Mm-hmm. Um, how are people doing right now? Right now, do we have a lot of information about this? Um, do we have a lot of stats about you know burnout? I know there's a lot of unemployment and stuff like that, but generally, are we making something out of nothing here? Is this, you know, a big issue for a lot of people, but not for everyone? Now, how are people actually doing? Is burnout real and alive in every in everyone's everyday life right now? Um, so I feel anecdotally, and just you know what I see, uh, where it's it's almost stages of grief with this global pandemic, mm-hmm. and we have denial right? We are not at acceptance. Maybe we are sometimes, but not all of us are. We are all, you know, we have a a global community that are all at different phases of their own stages of grief. And we're not all like, we're all in it together, really. Mm. Um, But everybody's at different, different stages. And I also think when we think about, um, you know, in large companies, we talk about change management. And this is really change management 101 moving through this and what this looks like in the workforce. And so it comes with, I call it the moment of impact. When we first become aware of this change, what's in it for me? You know, where's the fear and uncertainty and doubt? Um, And then how do we move through it to desired future state? And what does that look like? The challenge we have right now is desired future state is changing every day. Um, right. The news and how we're moving through the pandemic is also changing every day. So we never have solid ground to to stand on. And Mm -hmm. then, and that also translates to, I have my job, I'm okay. I'm working. Other people have been laid off and are on, um, whatever the different, um, offerings are of the day. And I say that because they change all the time too. Um, so, you know, we have those things that we have to manage, but, you know, from an HR perspective, we also have, we also have available to us different kinds of absences that we can help people manage, right? Like we can't say to the the present folks, hey, you know what? You're all going to go home. We're going to focus on the high performers. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I've seen is a lot of managers and a lot of companies are saying, I have 17 employees. I, you know, these two people have been underperforming for a long time and I just want to fire them. Well, yeah. but, you know, we can't do that right now because all jobs are sort of protected under the, the Ontario Human Rights Code. So, um, this, you know, the pushback there is let's manage your poor performers and let's, it, it really, to me has highlighted the fact that especially small business owners, some get it really right. Right. And, uh, and others, it, it's just sort of highlighted the need for some managerial skill development. So, and how, ha- and, you know, when you're running your business and you're focused on the business of running your business, you just want all your people to come in and do the job. <laughs> um, totally. so yeah, I don't fair. really. Right. And your high performers take 10% of your time. Your low performers take 90% of your time. So thinking about those things too, it's, it's really tough on a business leader's time to spend time uh, with those folks. Um, But we really have to kind of manage them. And then we also have to manage the, you know, the benefits piece and the, the, um, you know, for some folks, I'm really worried now about depression because we have been in a prolonged state of, you know, burnout symptoms, which, 
Totally. You know, it's our adrenal glands that give us the adrenaline. And I call it adrenal um, adrenal fatigue, which is what causes depression. I call it adrenal fatigue inspired depression. Um, and I think we're there. And a lot of people are really, I'm seeing now, are starting to get into mental health trouble. So, you know, on the, on the ground, boots on the ground, we're saying, you need your EAP. I've actually, with a couple of clients, mandated a few employees go to EAP. They must go every week must. Mm -hmm. So, um, must okay. we can also, I've also mandated that, uh, you know, with some employees they're, they're on starting an antidepressant, I've mandated that they take short-term disability. Um, and so they're on short-term disability while they figure out the right balance of the medication. They're also going to EAP because, you know, we all know the science tells us that talk therapy is just as important as medicine. Yeah. Um, you know, we also have, um, you know, some people might, might take leaves of absence, sure. um, you know, and then we might have long-term disability as well. And, uh, if there's anything in relation to work, because, you know, workplace accidents are still happening as well. If it's a WSIB related absence, these are, these are all things that we sort of have our eye on. And I'm not sure Bob, if you have some thoughts on that too, that you, you see from the benefits, you know, side of things as well. Yeah, yeah. no, go ahead. Sorry. Go for it. No, go nuts. Go nuts. No, I was just going to say, uh, you know, you, you hit on a lot of different solutions there from, you know, management training um, through to, you know, other formal formal things like uh, EAPs, uh, employee, employee assistance programs and uh, benefits. So, Bob, this is the world you live in. Tell yeah. us a bit about, you know, it's nice to have it's nice to have um, some formal things we can do. And then obviously there are little practical things we can do as well, but let's talk about some of those formal tools that are ready and accessible. Yeah. So no, as Carrie referenced to, you know, a couple of times, you know, a lot of organizations are more and more discovering the power of uh, an EAP or an, an employee assistance program. And what this is, it's, it's a confidential short-term counseling service for employees, you know, with personal difficulties that, you know, may affect their work performance. Um, oddly enough, EAPs grew out of uh, industrial alcoholism back in the 40s. And, uh, you know, now they're more part of, you know, becoming more and more part of a larger company plan to promote wellness that actually in involves written policies as well as uh, supervisor employee training. Um, employee assistance programs should be, in my opinion, considered a vital part of an employee's total comp package just because, you know, adding an EAP or wellness program can absolutely reduce healthcare costs. It can increase productivity. Mm -hmm. And honestly, from my opinion, you know, if implemented properly, um, we talked about this before, uh, we brought is, you know, the return. So I, I feel the return on spending a dollar towards an EAP can be anywhere from a dollar back to, you know, over $20 back, you know, for every dollar invested. Um, wow. there's, yeah. And there's just a variety of different EAP programs, Juliana, you know, depending on, you know, a company's needs, EAP programs can vary in design and, and scope with, mm. you know, a variety of different providers out there. Some focused on substance abuse, some, some focused on, uh, workplace violence, while others concentrate on a wide range of services. Um, some examples may include, uh, retirement planning, crisis management, um, just a wide array of things. And now more and more. Uh, becoming more focused on on stress and mental mm -hmm. mental wellness, you know, based on COVID. So, totally. um, 
Yeah, you know, the main purpose being to promote the well-being of the individual in a confidential and professional manner. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned where where EAPs were born from, the, the industrial yeah. alcohol, you know, um, epidemic sort of. Um, why I love that is because it's very real. Um, I, I do career coaching and there's one and I, I do some work with a, a call in line. Um, I'm one of their anonymous um, coaches. Um, and so I can't even share the name of the company. Mm -hmm. um, but I cannot tell you how many people call in and spend a small fortune out of pocket to get just in time advice. And these people aren't calling their EAPs. And, and I, I think it comes down to this idea of, well, one, is an EAP just for employees of big organizations? And two, is it really confidential? Great, yeah, great question. So I think um, a lot, there's a lot to dig into there. And I think EAPs can be offered to one employee companies and, and the big thing about it is this confidentiality, right? So even if you have one employee or uh, two employees or a small shop or have a thousand employees, um, one of the, I guess, fears that employees have is, is the information really confidential, right? So it's been a struggle for a lot of organizations as well as EAP providers to sort of help drive up the usage for EAPs because they do provide so many great things. And, you know, there's a couple of things that, employers um, can do or, you know, to help increase or drive up the usage of EAP, if there's such a word. You know, it's one is to communicate how an EAP can help. You know, often employees are actually unaware of the services and, and resources that are available to them in the workplace. You know, employers really should be ensuring that, you know, if there is an EAP program, that their employees are aware of how an EAP service can help them respond to either their work or personal life issues before they occur. Secondly, they really need to highlight uh, the non-disclosure aspect of the EAP, you know, provider. You know, confidentiality is one of the most important components of an EAP, and employees are more likely to use these services when they know that their privacy is absolutely protected. Mm -hmm. Can I jump thing. in for a second too? Yeah, Sorry, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I Go wanted to it. just jump in because on the administrative side, right, on the HX side of things, um, you know, from a billing perspective, when I see, uh, you know, when I get an invoice or I see an invoice that comes in for a company having paid for EAP, it doesn't tell me who uses it and what the issue is. It just says one employee used a service, that. right? So that's number one. Number two, the people, the professionals that are affiliated with an employee assistance program have their master's in social work, they're registered social workers, they are psychologists, they are bound by the colleges that license them to confidentiality and they and ethics. So they are bound by the ethics and, and um, practices of their respective colleges and must do so in order to maintain their licenses. So, you know, it's it's there should be no issue of confidentiality where it may fall down is if somebody in the small company isn't is saying, you know, well, I know this person's going to eat an EAP program. And I would argue that if they're a managerial or in a position of power, mum's the yeah. word. They shouldn't totally. be saying anything. They should just be paying the bill because it's it's there from place. Sorry to interrupt there. Yeah. Yeah, no, no worries. And I think, you know, defining an employee assistance program as simply just as a counseling service, though it's not wrong, it's actually much more than that. You know, if we define it as a 
counseling service, we're making people think that um, they have to be sick or have a problem before they access the EAP. This is absolutely not true. You know, what people need to realize, it's a resource for employees to access, you know, with regards to any number of potential issues or challenges they're trying to navigate in their own personal lives. They don't have to necessarily have a problem. Yeah, for sure. And I really, you know what? go for it. I just wanted to jump in and say, because I'm on, you know, boots on the ground and working with employees, I often say, you know, there is no guidebook on how to get through life and an EAP. So two things. Number one is there's no guidebook on how to get through life. And an, a good counselor in an EAP program can help you, give you some tools to put in your backpack for life. The mm-hmm. other one is, you know, when our car breaks down, we can take it in for its oil change or take it to the mechanic and get it fixed. And, and um, it's, it's, it's just the car. We need to keep it running. But what are we doing for ourselves? We can mm-hmm. go take our car in for an oil change. Why can't we go do that for our minds as well? And mm-hmm. so I that to me is the value of EAP. But to Bob's point too, you know, they will also do services like, um, actually, I can give my uh, a personal example. Um, my father-in-law was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And I called our EAP program and said, hey, listen, um, my father-in-law was just diagnosed with Parkinson's. What kind of resources do you have available? They said, give us a couple weeks. I got a binder that was three inches thick. And it had all the resources we would need as the disease progressed. And they provided us with the free and paid services for Parkinson's in his area. So we could, as his disease progressed and we needed different services, we could literally flip through the binder to say, oh, you know what? We've got seniors for seniors. We've got Meals on Wheels. We've got this, you know, other service to come and help with yard work. And we could figure out what to pay for and, and what what you know just based on our financial situation so um those are other things that an eap program can do so it's not just counseling it's other life moments because we also you know when we we have five generations in the workforce right now the youngest workforce or the youngest generation are millennials and this really some some might get upset with me but the the thing that they lack on the whole is resiliency so they need some extra support in place um the older, the, the two mid-gens, the Gen X and Gen Ys, we're in here, we're sandwiched. We have elderly parents we're caring for. We have kids that we're caring for on top of whatever our job stress is. So um, it's really, I think, beneficial for um, our generations, X and Y. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still boomers too. There's some, the tail end of the boomers uh, um, are still there too. And so they're going to be thinking about, you know, retirement and letting go. Um and then our our generations, we need the extra resources for how to manage our parents and our kids. So I'm going to expand this a little bit further because um, in in my experience with this uh, with the support line that I that I you know uh, that I work on, one of the the things that I notice is a lot of the calls that come in would belong in like the topics, the questions would belong in your in the office with your manager if that person could fill that gap. But I, I feel that, you know, some people are using, um, you know, the, the service that I work with um, and probably should also try out an EAP when you're not getting the leadership that you need. To your point, Carrie, uh, you know, you bring your car in when something's making a funny noise because that makes sense. Um, we all accept the fact that we have 
bosses. Everyone's got a boss and our boss has to tell us what the priorities are and, and whatever. Um, but sometimes your boss might burn out. And if that's the case, you know, br bring that bring that to the shop, to the EAP call and and ask the questions. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can even just help you figure out how to communicate in a way that can get you the answers you're not getting. Um, but it really is beyond counseling. Um, so I love all of those examples. Um, when we're talking about leaders, people leaders in the workforce, you have you are obviously dealing with your own stuff and you might be burning out yourself, but you're also responsible for those around you, your peers and the people who report to you in terms of burnout. What should you? Well, I'm going to be really specific. Is there a role that feedback specifically plays uh, in 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 keeping the burnout in check for your employees? And I can I can even put that in a slightly different Can you different expand way. on that a little bit yeah, for yeah, me? Yeah, totally, totally. Okay. Essentially, if you are a manager and you're going to your one-on-one -on -one with your with one of your staff members this week, beyond asking how are you doing? Because that's mm -hmm. that's like I checked the box. I asked. They mm -hmm. said I'm good. But mm -hmm. then what? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's hard to get into those like uh, presenteeism conversations. Um, so, you know, what 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 do you do in terms of that feedback mechanism to be there for them if they're not asking for help? I'm going to throw in another stat there. So um, sure. if you look at management, um, I think God, I wish I had the dates and stuff, but it's, it's like four out of five managers, supervisors believe it's part of their job to intervene with an employee who's showing signs of whether it be depression or some sort mm -hmm. of um, health issue. And then when you compare that, only one in three managers supervisor, manager supervisors reported having training to deal with these type of situations, right? So there's a big disconnect. So another stat is, you know, over, I think it's over 60% of managers would like to receive better training on how to deal with these type of situations with, you know, almost half of them, you know, liking to receive more support from senior management and HR. So I think though... I think managers feel there's a responsibility just to say, hey, how are you doing and sort of dig deeper. Many of them feel that they're not trained. And, you know, if someone says they have something, what's the next step? Right. Yes. So I think there is like a, a moral dilemma. And also, you know, going back to, you know, dealing or, you know, understanding that you yourself has a problem. I think there's a huge stigma associated with mental, you know, health, mental health related issues, you know. Okay. that em employers are perceived to be less accommodating of employees experiencing mental health related issues compared to those that maybe identify with a physical health related yes. issue. Yes. Right. So I think, you know, you know, and also I think there's this feeling that em employees will, you know, will be subject to discrimination um, or, yes. you know, significant, you know, factors that maybe prevent them from maybe moving on to a promotion or whatever. So I think there's that fear that people hold this all inside. And I, once again, I can't stress enough the importance of an EAP program where, you know, for so many reasons, one, they're trained. And as Carrie mentioned, you know, they're master, you know, they're the PhDs, masters, and they have formal training in dealing with these type of issues. And then also being able to talk to somebody without the fear, you know, or having that, you know, paralyzing fear that, what if one of my you know, colleagues finds out or whatever? And I think it's just a tool that employers should maybe come up with a process, you know, whether, you know, from the top down, from, 
senior management down to mid-level management to, you know, come up with a process if part of our job should be to try and identify our team, um, mm-hmm. any of our teammates that are maybe struggling, you know, and for whatever reason it may be. And then if they don't feel they have the skill set or if they just aren't trained, what's the mm-hmm. next step? You know, there are plenty of uh, EAP programs that are actually provided through benefit plans. Um, yes. You can actually spend, you know, the average cost of an EAP program can be as little as $3 to, you know, to $10 per month um, per employee per so month, which affordable. isn't a yeah, and it's it's not that expensive, mm-hmm. um, yeah. as well as some benefit plans that we offer actually have a mini EAP program for those that maybe don't want to spend at this point in time or haven't bought into the process of how important an EAP program could be. So there's just mm-hmm. a variety of different uh, different ways that you know owners or employers can access this type of support service. That's awesome. Carrie, what would you say to this um, to this idea of you know managers, uh, people leaders are there mm-hmm. at the on the front lines? Um, yeah, what should they be doing beyond asking how are you? I think so. I think if you're having radically candid one on ones where you're being honest about what the expectations are. Um, and where the person is in performing um, them. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why you would want to do that. Number one is it, if you do an annual review or biannual reviews, if you have those one-on-one meetings and you send a summary email after, just making sure I got our meeting right, here's what we talked about, here's what you need to improve. I sort of subscribe to the hockey coach methodology of uh, performance management. Did good, do different. You know, hockey players skate around on the ice for two minutes. They come in, the coach said, did good, do different. If they don't do different, they're going to go out and do the same thing, and then they're going to get benched. So, uh, you know, if we give the feedback and make it part of the culture and the practice to give the feedback right away, um, everybody likes to know where they stand, everybody, all the time. So if we can do that, then that also feeds into an annual review. You take the anxiety away from the process because you're summarizing your one-on-one meetings that you've had for the year. So check, made easy. Um, The other piece is I think about who is qualified to have a conversation around mental health. And I would say the majority of human beings are not qualified unless you have an MSW, RSW, psychology degree, psychiatry degree, um, and and, some other experience and training. one of the things that I did as an HR provider, a conscientious HR provider, um, because we know that we deal with mental health in the workplace. One of the things that I did two years ago was take a mental health first aid course. It was offered through um, Ontario Shores. I think it was a couple hundred bucks. And if there is ever a mental health emergency, which in HR we see often, or we're coaching a manager on how to deal with, we, I now feel confident that I have the skills and the knowledge to manage through that. Um, So that's, you know, mental health first aid, easy thing to do. And I know they've moved a lot of their learning online. Um, The other thing that I think on as well when he he was just talking was about inclusion. Um, Mental health really should be part of inclusion and it should be appreciated as part of a diverse workforce. When we talk now conversationally about diversity and inclusion, it's not just about um, 
it's not just about sexual orientation, race, uh, gender identity. It's about, it, it's also about the mental health piece too. Whether maybe we're on the spectrum, maybe we manage depression and it's a lifelong thing. Um, you know, mental health it, in all of the faucets, it's not just about depression. Um, so, and that I, I really firmly believe that when everybody feels included, everybody can put when everybody feels included, like wholly included, they can put down their stuff and they can participate in whatever it is that you need them to do, whether it's work performance, um, whether it's playing. If you're a kid, you watch your kids, you know, if they don't feel included, they're not going to play. If they feel included, they'll play. And really, as adults, we are no different. Really? We're just older. Yeah. So. No, I, I agree. I think, you know, creating an inclusive work environment just goes beyond surface level diversity initiatives. I think there's been a been a lot of ink spilled over creating diverse workplaces, but not enough time focused on creating inclusive environments. So things like, you know, um, someone of Muslim faith being able to pray at work without worrying his colleagues will other him or her. Uh, a mother being able to have pictures of her kids on her desk without people thinking she's less committed to her work. Or, you know, a member of the LGBTQ community feeling comfortable bringing their partner to a work function. I think there's so many things that we can do. Mm -hmm. uh, as a as a mom, one of my very awkward examples was when I when I started going back into the office with clients of mine, and I was still nursing, so I needed to pump at work, and I needed to to store that milk, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, you know the first place that I returned to was a male dominated tech company, um, so it was weird for folks. Absolutely. Um, and, and these are all part of the inclusion pieces that you two are talking about. I will also quickly add, um, early in my 20s, which I think is really common, a common time anyways for the onset of these things, I experienced my first challenge with depression. And I started, I started therapy. I have never stopped therapy. I'm 40 now. Mm -hmm. um, and I can tell you, I have an honors bachelor degree. I have a master's degree. And therapy has taught me more about how I behave and how others behave and how to communicate effectively than any program, any professor ever taught me. And so it's just incredible how the, that inclusion piece that you're mentioning about how we need to think of inclusion in a, in a very wide ranging way, mental health included. Um, when you embrace your whole self, you are better. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a better marketer. I'm a better communicator. I'm a better leader because I got depressed when I was 20 and needed to see a therapist for the first time and saw the value. Mm -hmm. So no shame there, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that you just touched on too, Juliana, is um, communication, right? You learned how to communicate better through, through your mental health um, supporter. And yeah. one of the things that I see boots on the ground, uh, you know, with companies is, and with the onslaught of all the different faucets of communication tools we have we email we text we insta we facebook messenger we do all of these different things and even you know we'll do emails back and forth about you know setting up a meeting and you'll send i don't know 10 emails about your calendar and whether you can actually have a meeting on wednesday at two instead yeah. of picking up the phone and kicking it old school. And mm -hmm. it's really like done in two minutes. And so totally. you've saved 10 minutes of your time. So you don't have workflow weighing into your evening. Mm -hmm. um, the other piece is that we communicate 
differently, full brain function, communicate differently in writing than we do verbally and in person. Communication is, you know, uh, what is it? Like 97% nonverbal. Mm -hmm. So when we are typing and writing, and we see this on Facebook, people share, I always say that sort of um, people on Facebook are like your underpants. You just don't talk about it. But <laughs> because we are writing, we are communicating and it accesses a different area of our brain. So we're sharing more than we would normally. So if we were face-to-face, person-to-person, we would not be sharing you know, half the stuff that we do, but because we are communicating more in writing and we're using that part of our brain, we are more vulnerable, we're sharing more, um, but we're not necessarily communicating effectively. And so I, I feel like even now, and you know, with, with the pandemic in place, it is vital to have the phone conversations. And I'm seeing phone instead of even a Zoom or a Teams chat or a Skype, whatever it is, because one of the things that um, I've also learned recently is that when we're doing a, a call like this, we, you know, it's beautiful that we get to see each other's faces and emotional expressions and conversations or eye rolls, um, cats, you know, things, but um, artwork, backgrounds, those things. But um, our eyes and our brain are functioning in a different way because we're looking at a screen and so i you know for a while i was calling it covid fatigue i had covid fatigue and i was attributing it to just the heaviness and the burden of a global pandemic and what this means but also at the end of a work day um i have a migraine now i also suffered a, a pretty big brain injury 18 months ago so for me at the end of the day i have all my symptoms of my head injury uh, brain injury back. Um, I have a migraine and a lot of it is because all of the meetings have moved to, you know, to Skype or a video format and your eyes are moving around and you're processing information in a different way as well. So, um, it's not like, you know, and seeing written words or, you know, a slide deck or things like that. Um, now we're looking at faces and, and also slides. And, uh, so it's, it's impacting our brains in different ways. So, I think that's also contributing to what I call the COVID burden. Mm -hmm. So we have to be mindful Fair. about that too, because if we're exhausted at the end of a day, um, and you know, the other piece that we have to consider too is, are we getting, it's basic self-care. Are we getting enough sleep? Are we eating and getting the right nutrition? And because really how we cope with anything at any given moment depends on all of those factors. How am I feeling about the world today? Which side of the bed did I get up in? Did I eat the right the right balance of nutrients yesterday? Did I drink enough water? Did I get enough sleep? How how is my family doing? Um, you know, are you sandwiched and caring for other people? There's, you know, are you in the right job? Many it's, many layers. It's yeah. very complex. It's very complex. And there's and so many things. Yeah, there's tons of ways, like you said, Carrie. To it's important that we all take care of. You know that we're able to cope with you know the difficulties and the stresses of of uh of work um i think you know you need to you need to know what to do if you're sick you need to know that you need to contact your healthcare professional yes. professional you need to know where and how to get treatment you know or other support services that are available to you if you need if you think you need counseling you need to you know like you said take care of your emotional health you need to take breaks from watching and reading or listening to you know all the news stories and all the social media, hearing about the pandemic over and over again. 
Um, and like you, like you said, take care of your body, take deep breaths, you know, stretch, you know, meditate, you know, eating, eating healthy. Go outside. Go outside. Get Go plenty outside. of sleep. Outside. Yeah. And as much as I hate it, okay. avoid excess alcohol and drug use. <laughs> <laughs> Great preamble there. Yes. Um, okay. So in, um, I, I need to wrap up. So I'm going to ask you to both a couple of questions. I'm going to start with you, Bob. Um, sure. So Carrie, you, you've got the benefit of time to think about your answer. Um, is there, we talked about a lot today. There's a heck of a lot more to this topic, but at the end of this conversation, is there anything that you really want to underscore or something that you want to say that you haven't already about, about mental health, about burnout? And, and then the second part is how can you help? How do people get in touch with you if they're, if they want your help? Great question. So I think, um, if I were to underscore or underline something today, it's, you know, if you feel that you're an organization that's you know, your employees are having a difficult time or you just see productivity slipping or you feel there's an engagement problem, um, I, I'd love to speak with you. We have a lot of different tools and I have access to a lot of different support systems, whether through a benefits plan or through some providers that I can hook you up with and, or we can talk about. And it could be as simple things that maybe doesn't cost you anything. But yeah, I would just say if, if you're dealing with any issues around uh, the workforce and productivity and morale, uh, please give me a call. Mm -hmm. And how can folks reach you? I can be reached. Uh, the best way to reach me is my email. It's very easy to remember. It's bob at paymentevolution.com. Awesome. So bob at paymentevolution.com. Carrie, same question. What would you underscore or say um, to the crowd? And, and then how mm -hmm. can you help? So I think... Uh, my underscore is we all need to remember we are all doing the best we can with what we have available to us at any given moment. We need compassion. In the workplace, we need honesty. Uh, and it doesn't have to be brutal, mean honesty. It can, you know, we have to find the compassion to find a good message. Hey, you know what, Susie, your, your, your performance isn't where I need it to be right now. Let's, let's, mm -hmm unpack that. Here's my expectations. Where do you think you are? Um, that's an honest, candid conversation that can have an entirely different outcome. Um, cause it really sucks if you go to fire somebody and they have no clue, you know, it's, yes. and actually jobs are protected right now. So you can't do that either. Um, so how do people get around it? Call HX. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we love, I wanted to call and we talked about, you know, we don't want to be traditional HR. We want to put the human in human resources. A workplace is a human experience. Um, we are right. And, and as long as there are human beings on the planet, there will be human systems. And in my humble opinion, as an HR practitioner, it is my job to provide interventions on that human system to make sure it works effectively. And part of that means I work with people like Bob so we can, you know, put benefits into a company. Um, you know, Bob has all the expertise on the benefits and, um, you know, what companies are offering what and what a good mix is. And we, as HR boots on the ground in companies, know what a company might need and, and is palatable from them, both from a price point and from an employee engagement uh, and retention standpoint, and even attraction, because if we're talking about recruiting too, we also have to think about attraction. So, um, and we're also talking with employees, so we know, you know, when we need to engage, engage some services. So we work very closely with Bob. Um, and then, you know, from a, from a managerial perspective, you know, we also need managers need coaching. 
right? And totally, and totally. we are available all the time. So, <laughs> and how do people reach you? What's the best email address? Email is Carrie at paymentevolution.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just throw in also that we also have um, HX, so H yes. as in human, X as in experience, <laughs> uh, at paymentevolution.com. Um, thank you, both of you. This was a really great conversation. I feel like I could talk about it for a really long time, and maybe we'll flush this topic out some more. Um, I want to thank all of our listeners today. This is Juliana from Payment Evolution at the or with the Pay Evo podcast. Really happy to have to have you here. Hope some of what we shared with you today has been helpful. And I just really want to underscore for you: don't don't wait until that moment of burnout. Don't wait to that crisis. Um, if you aren't seeing signs already of burnout for yourself, for the people that you work with, for the people that you manage, then y- you are very likely just not perceiving it. Be proactive. That is one thing that I've learned from both benefits and HX is you, there are a lot of problems you cannot solve in real time. There are most problems, a lot of these kinds of problems can be solved by being proactive. So so take action today. It's as easy as an email to Bob or HX or Carrie at paymentevolution.com. Um, we are the Canadian economy. We need to do this together and we're here to support you. So I hope you take advantage of that. Thank you, everyone. Um, tweet us at, at payevo and let us know your thoughts, your comments, your questions, your feedback and topics you want us to cover next. Lots of love. Take care, everyone. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the PayEvo podcast. If you are looking for better payroll, human resources, benefits, and more for your small business, be sure to visit paymentevolution.com. Don't forget to subscribe and tweet us at PayEvo with requests and ideas for future episodes. We'll catch you next time on the PayEvo podcast. <laughs>